Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Delilah Panio, and I'm Vice President of U.S. Capital Formation for Toronto Stock Exchange and TSX Venture Exchange based in Southern California. Welcome to TMX Presents, the podcast. This is where we have conversations with capital markets leaders from around the world, gaining insights from the influential decision makers and visionary entrepreneurs helping to shape the future business landscape. Today, we have a fantastic episode talking about acquisitions and growth in an exciting high growth sector of plant-based wellness. But before we dive in, I'd like to give a brief overview of how TSX and TSX Venture are increasingly becoming a viable capital option for high growth U.S. companies such as Simply Better Brands, our guest today. Last year, 25 U.S. companies listed on TSX and TSX Venture, choosing what we call the public venture capital route as an alternative to private venture capital options. As of the end of June this year, 13 U.S. companies have listed on one of our exchanges despite these turbulent market conditions. So let's jump into our guest today. Simply Better Brands is an omni-channel platform with disruptive brands in the emerging plant-based holistic wellness and active lifestyle sector. The company's mission is focused on leading innovation for the informed millennials and Gen Zs through expansion into high-growth consumer product categories, including plant-based food and wellness and clean ingredient skincare. Simply Better Brands CEO, Kathy Casey, has 30 years of experience in the CPG industry with a track record of building profitable businesses. Her career includes leadership roles with established blue chip companies such as P&G, Kellogg, and numerous startup companies. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you, Delilah. I'm thrilled to be here today. Awesome. Well, let's start with the origin story. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you came to Simply Better Brands? Yes, of course. It's funny, I start to call myself a bit of a corporate deserter, right? I, as you had referenced, I, I spent about 30 years in corporate America to some of the companies you referenced earlier. Did really a variety of roles, sales roles, marketing, general management. And actually, towards the end, I ran about a $2 billion business at Kellogg. So really fun to, to build to a business that large and work across many, many different channels. I left actually about three years ago. And to your point, how did I get at Simply Better Brands? About three years ago, I had a real passion and have a real passion for wellness. And I I really saw everything happening in the category in this emerging wellness space. And I've spent a bunch of my career being intellectually curious. It's how I've tried to stay relevant. And really that curiosity led me to what is now Simply Better Brands. I love that. And certainly everything is trending now around plant-based, everything that's going on in the industry. So maybe tell us a bit more about the company and how you are disrupting the wellness industry. Sure. As you said earlier, we're an omni-channel wellness company. We really operate both direct-to-consumer and business-to-business. Originally, many of the companies that, that we'll talk about over the course of the day were actually direct-to-consumer brands. And part of my role has been taking these direct-to-consumer brands and making them these omni-channel brands going into business to business or to brick and mortar. We've really acquired six companies over the last two years. So it's been busy and exciting. We have a phenomenal CFO that's really helped us do a lot of this work. Essentially what we do and what Simply Better Brands is, is that we buy and build brands in the wellness space. We operate in really three verticals. You referenced the first one around plant-based wellness. That's with a brand of ours called Pircana. The second vertical is natural organic food with a brand called a Delicious and Indulgent brand called True Bar, which is a protein bar. And then the last one is our, our NoBS skincare brand, which operates in very, very clean ingredient skincare that we're proud of. 
I love, love, love the name Nobia Skincare. That's awesome. Every woman will appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We say it stands for no bad stuff, but you can actually use <laughs> use your own imagination. But it was founded by an incredible, actually, engineer, former proctor, marketer that has built some global brands. And, and we love having it actually as part of our portfolio. When the company decided to go public a few years ago, it was started with Pure Kana was the main brand. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Let's talk about the funding story. So all of our listeners are obviously very interested in, you know, a U.S. company deciding to go public on a Canadian market. So let's go back a few years and talk about the funding story of the company. So how the company was public before it went public. Sure. Our original funding was actually sourced from the private equity space. It was a fund that actually saw the opportunity, like I did, to build brands in this emerging space. This was also early on to your point where plant-based was all the rage and CBD was all the rage. And there was all these incredible traffic in these plant-based, I would call it, either food, consumer, beverages. And they were initially our private equity investors. And as often happens, you know, they acquired a number of nascent brands from their founders And then they went and recruited some CPG talent that could help build the capability and accelerate the growth. And that's really where myself and some of my teammates came in. And so take us into your mindset as you're leading this company and you you obviously have a significant growth strategy ahead of you in the next several years. And so looking at all of your capital options at that time, so obviously you had the option to continue to go down the private capital Mm -hmm. route and get more private equity funds or... And I know that you had also looked at potentially looking at going public via a SPAC in the U.S. So maybe just walk us through, again, your mindset of, and really, because this is really helpful for our listeners in terms of as a management team and a CEO trying to think about, here are all of our capital options. What's the right for our strategy today for our existing shareholders, for our future shareholders, for our employees and our customers? Yeah, no, I agree. I think this is, as a CEO, CFO, board This is often one of the biggest challenges, right? Because particularly originally and early on where growth takes investment to get the company up and running and ultimately sustainably growing takes not only effort, but it takes resources. And as you're very, very aware, I mean, I say capital is always challenging and access to cash is even more so. Yes. We sit here now even three years later and every day we're making sure that we're maniacally focused about you know, how and where our cash is invested and actually just finished a finance raise here a few weeks ago. Yes, congratulations, especially in these times. There's not a lot of companies that are able to tap into capital. Please go on. Thank you. Thank you. And it it wasn't easy. I will tell you, it's challenging to get your story out, particularly when we're seeing what's happening in global markets today. Delilah, agnostic of what's happening in Canada, you know, on CSX or U.S. markets around the world. But I think in, in terms of the kind of the options mindset as it relates to private capital, I think like most emerging companies, we assessed all options. We were a little too developed, you know, for venture capital, which, as you know, often precedes, if you will, a growing concern with revenue, which we had. We, of course, looked at and continue to look at debt as a solution. And but we knew that ultimately the dollars would be limited in nature as it relates to debt and how much we could support, have access to and ultimately pay for. Of course, to your point, there was always additional private equity that was an option, but we wanted to be mindful, you know, going forward that we would want to minimize dilution to our owners and potentially future shareholders. So where we ultimately settled was there's really a formula, if you will, a hybrid, right, of both debt and pursuing capital markets. It seemed to be optimal to fuel our growth, and we still leverage both of those options today. 
So ultimately, Kathy, you ended up taking Pure K Holdings Public on TSX Venture through a CPC, a capital pool company program. Is that correct? Absolutely. We did reference a lot of different options, and certainly that vehicle seemed like the most intelligent choice for us, Delilah. And for those listening who may not be aware, the CPC or Capital Pool Company Program is similar in essence to a SPAC, which gained a lot of popularity in the last few years in the U.S. But the difference is that these are smaller, clean shells used for structuring. And and most companies that go public on TSX Venture Exchange go public via a CPC. How did you come to be introduced to TSX Venture? To be fully transparent, you know, I spent most of my career as we started this discussion today really in corporate America, and candidly, capital markets was not a strength of mine. I spent most of the time really building businesses, not in the capital work really was left to other people, and obviously worked for pretty mature companies like Kellogg and P&G. So I actually had very little, little understanding of the capital markets. So as I often do, I needed to rely on some experts here. I think one of the biggest and most important things of any good leader is to recognize where they have strengths and where they need to lean on other people to fill their gaps. And capital markets early on was certainly a gap for me. So we were actually ultimately introduced to TSX by our board. So early on, we had a group of folks that came on our board to help us from diverse backgrounds, some of them CPG people, some of them capital markets people, to help us run the company. The board actually had extensive experience, Delilah, with TSX. They'd done some work on TSX previously and had a couple other ventures with a very positive outcome. And we believe that TSX actually offered us, you know, access to capital, not only to fuel our growth, but both organically and through acquisition. And so you've been listed now for a few years. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how you've used TSX Venture and the public venture capital to fuel the company's growth, especially around those acquisitions. And and really, again, getting the mindset of, of how an early stage public company, which comes with its pros and its challenges, but one of the biggest reasons why companies go public at an early stage is for that acquisition currency. So can you speak to that and how that has really, like I said, helped fuel the company's growth? Absolutely. If you think originally the company was founded upon and started, and as I referenced, went public on TSX, TSXV, of course, through one brand, it was called the Pure Canna brand, which originally started as a CBD brand. And now over time, we've broadened the portfolio to not just be CBD, but actually be CBD as an ingredient, sometimes in and outside of a wellness portfolio. So we go across consumer need states of sleep, energy, calm, weight loss without CBD, focal acuity, a variety of different areas where we follow and meet the needs of consumers. That early brand of Pure though, helped us get public, but we we knew to survive, we would need to be more diverse than just that one company. And very core to our strategy was a very heavy and aggressive M&A appetite, as I referenced earlier, now buying six companies. So one of the most significant ways, to your point, that we actually used the TSX presence was for acquisition currency. If you look now at our press releases or our history, these six companies and the term sheets of those six companies were primarily had three components to them. One was primarily stock driven. So the companies were acquired through stock, very, very often, very little or no cash. And often with an earnout component to make sure that the investment or term sheets were performance based to minimize the amount of stock we would give and there ultimately dilute the company. So there's no doubt that our rate of growth would be demonstrably different without access to capital markets and TSX. 
So, Kathy, given all of that's been going on with the company and everything you just talked about, but the number of acquisitions, and by the way, congrats on your recent announcement. I saw recently that Simply Better Brands, that your No BS skincare brand is growing significantly, and you are now expanding into the travel retail channel. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. As I referenced earlier, and you're right, that was a press release that came out today. As I referenced earlier, one of the things we've done is or a lot of these brands were originally e-commerce brands, and we're trying to take them into brick-and-mortar environments. So, if you will, a Piercana brand we took into Rite Aid. No BS Skincare, as we announced today, goes with Newsleak into the Travel Channel. They also just last month launched into 3,200 CVS stores. Our True Bar brand, which is a clean ingredient protein brand, has had distribution in half of the U.S. Costco's and actually will be entering into Costco Canada for you here kind of in Q4. So it's definitely part of our sauce to to essentially, if you will, take the passions of the owners and founders of the companies that we bought and then really mix that with strong consumer products, fundamentals, and capability to build the brands, if you will, in collaboration and connection back to the founders. Many of the acquisitions that we've done, the founders are actually still in place because there's nobody more committed to building a brand than the person that invented it. That is so encouraging to hear, especially, you know, in times when companies get acquired and the founders are not still part of the company. So that's really exciting. And I'm sure for other brands that are reaching out to you or or considering you as as an acquisition strategy for themselves, that that's something that would be really attractive to them. Yeah, what we're really excited about, Delilah, you referenced this a a moment ago, but what we're really excited about is we are a purpose-driven company. I've been doing this a long time, working in corporate America for now, as you referenced, a few decades. And what matters to me is when you get out of bed every day that, you know, not only you feel like you're accomplishing something, but you're hopefully making a difference. And we're a purpose-driven company. And what being public has allowed us to do is actually to support that mission. And that mission is actually to democratize wellness. We say we want to authentically democratize wellness every day. And we just believe that people should have access to wellness. And one of the ways to do that is to make a portfolio available that makes sense to a diverse group of consumers socioeconomically or depending upon their products or decisions of choice. So from a financial perspective, not only are we excited about being a public company, but from a financial perspective, we also believe that it enables profitable growth and that a healthy balance sheet, if you will, will be rewarded over time. And ultimately, you know, that fuels growth for us and for our shareholders. So you touched on a couple of points that I'd love to really deep dive into. And one of them is around Being a public company, especially as a consumer product company that has several brands, is the opportunity for your customers to also become investors. Mm -hmm. And that is something that a lot of companies don't necessarily think about, but what a great opportunity. Have you incorporated that into any of your investor relations or in terms of your investor outreach to your actual customers who, I mean, who's more incentivized and who's more motivated by your growth and success than the people who love your brands? I'll be honest with you and say that we really haven't. We do have certainly consumers that do reach out and say, hey, we use your products, we enjoy your products, we're loyal to your products, and I do ultimately want to invest. I would say it's been more organic than really proactive by us. One thing we, we have done, though, and is very important to us, is that every employee of our companies own stock or options in our company. And so to your point, not only is it purpose-driven, but it's employee-owned. And we believe that as the company grows and is successful, that our employees should enjoy and engage in and benefit from that success. And it's something we're very proud of. 
I love that. And I, I think that that is so critical for all companies. It, it's again, it's another benefit of going public is that you really provide not just the incentive for your employees, but also the reward and having them along, truly along for the ride as you are building the company and they are sharing in your success. And it's one of the one of the things that you know we've seen over the last 30 years or so in the U.S. with sort of the decline of the small cap IPO in the U.S., where now you have to be these you know billion dollar companies <laughs> yeah. to go public, is that the people who are missing out are the employees. So when you go public early, they get those early stock options. They have the chance to invest through your employee purchase plan, share purchase plan, and then they can really share in that growth. And it's it feels good when you're an employee and you also own stock in any company. Yeah, and I think as I talk to you know younger generations and think about you and my life, over the course of your life, you typically really acquire wealth, if you will, in two ways. One, you either make some good moves in the real estate market, and that, if you will, matures over time, or B, you win in the stock market. For the most part, your daily compensation or maybe a bonus program is never going to be demonstrative in nature. And so we're just thrilled we can have some of these young professionals come to our companies, call it in their mid to late 20s, and are able within a period of time when they qualify for the program, or actually we actually give them options. They don't even have to buy them. Sometimes we give folks grants depending upon their role and their level. But they have an opportunity where really they can watch the stock market every day and, and see their wealth accumulating, which is incredibly exciting. That really is. And, you know, you touched on passions and founders of your businesses. And one thing I know that you and I share is a passion for empowering women to access that aligned capital. So I understand that a number of your brands are female founded. Can you just maybe comment on that? Sure. If you look at two of the brands, two of the three brands I mentioned earlier, the Nobia skincare brand is ran by a woman named Diana Persino, and she was the, the founder of the brand. The other brand, True Bar, the protein bar, was founded by Erica Grossman and a couple of friends that founded that brand. And both those CEOs still run those brands today. And I will tell you, I have sometimes, I don't have to ask them to do anything. They push me out of the way to be able to continue to run those brands, which is phenomenal. But it's exciting. It's exciting to see the business that they founded. And then ultimately, when you talk about capital for women, that really by allowing their companies to be bought ultimately by Simply Better Brands, and we own both those companies 100%, it really enabled them as female founders to get access to capital to build those companies. You know, eventually entrepreneurs often run out of money, and but they're not yet done accomplishing their mission or their passion. So we like to say that we can give them resources and capability access to classes of trade in an intentional way that actually allows them to see their mission actually be accomplished. And as we know from the statistics in terms of capital options available to women, and unfortunately, the statistics are still very, very low in terms of percentages of access. So if we look last year was a record year for women-led companies accessing private venture capital as a dollar amount, but as a percentage, it was still only about 2% of all venture capital in the U.S. And then if we look at the public markets, last year was also a record for women-led IPOs in the U.S., but it was 12 out of about 1,000 IPOs. So while we're, it's seemingly that there are progresses being made for you know, women to be able to access the capital that gets them to allow to be public, we still have a long way to go. I mean, what are your thoughts on how we shift that? It's probably, as you know, a lot more complicated than a half-hour yes. podcast. But I will tell you that it never ceases to amaze me. You know, after spending so much time in corporate America, you know, I see it time and time again. 
know, that more diverse teams and companies just make better decisions. And ultimately, they make better decisions. And as we've seen from research from folks like Catalyst, they not only make better decisions, but ultimately it's proven that they're more profitable, right? And I like to approach it and say, you know, not only is it the right thing to do to have access to capital for diverse organizations, just from a human standpoint, but it's actually just a much smarter business decision. Yeah, it really is outstanding to me. To your point, the statistics, the research has all been done on profitability, getting to revenue faster. That data is all out there, and yet the numbers still are so low. I mean, one of the areas that I'm quite passionate about is, you know, helping more women to understand investing in women-owned businesses. Because, you know, at the end of the day, there is just a practical reality that people like to invest in who and what they know. And so this opportunity for more women to become investors, just generally, and specifically into women-owned businesses, I think is a massive opportunity, both for the investors and the companies. Yes, I'm actually very excited about it. I'm not a tennis fan, but I am a fan of Serena Williams. Yes. <laughs> and I will tell you, I'm so excited to see what happens next. And as you know, she just she just announced her private equity or private venture firm that focuses primarily on, on money for women and people of color. And yes. I think that's a perfect example of what we need to see more of. It's a simple function to me of supply and demand. We need more women that are willing to work in either entrepreneurial startups or private ventures or small cap. And then in addition to, if you will, the supply of women that make that career choice, we also then need, of course, that supply to be met with demand. And then more female founders as they are building their companies to really have that vision to take the company public. It's just, it's not necessarily in all of the awareness, but we're seeing more and more women who, again, are are building world-class companies, but just having this idea of going public because the ripple effect of a company going public, whether to the employees, the initial shareholders, to the women themselves, that they can turn around and invest in other companies. And so we really are looking forward to seeing more of that. And it's wonderful to have CEOs like yourself out there being vocal, but also just leading a world-class company that is growing and executing on its business plan, making the acquisitions and executing on your strategy. Yeah, I, uh, I tell a story and I agree. Representation is important, right? So I tell a story. I was a junior junior high and I called my mom and said I was going to run for class president. And my mom said to me, well, can you do that? Like, can a girl do that? It's a function of, you know, the 60s and the 70s when we're at really at a different place. And I will tell you that I have the career that I have today because women and men chose to mentor and take an interest in me and my career. And also I believed in the power of the possible because I saw them doing it. And to your point, that's why I think representation becomes critical that, if you will, people believe in the power of the possible. Yeah, I love that. And also just again, back to that, you know, going after the aligned capital, right? Choosing the capital that's right for the company in alignment with what you're trying to build, what your shareholders are looking to achieve. And I think that you're really on that path. So what's next for Simply Better Brands? We grow both, as I mentioned to you, through acquisition, as well as through organic growth. And if you think about where you'll see us go next, is that we source our growth through category through channel and through geography. So if you think of category, Pure Kana, as I mentioned to you, broadens their wellness portfolio into weight loss and focal acuity. True Bar, that's primarily a protein bar, expands into powders. And then No BS Skincare, primarily a skincare company, actually goes into personal care with deodorant. And then in terms of geographic growth, we have plans in place to enter both the UK and the Mexico market. So really think of organic and acquisition growth 
through channel, category, and geographic expansion. It's a classic model about how you build growth sustainably over time, and it seems to be not only resonating with consumers, but resonating with their overall growth strategy as well. Well, we look forward to continuing to watch your growth and your success. One last question we'd like to ask all of our U.S. CEOs. What surprised you the most about going public? The lack of sleep. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would say seriously. I referenced earlier, capital is challenging and cash is even more so. And I think what surprised me and actually impressed me, both about going public on TSXV Ultimately, as you know, Delilah, over time, it would be our vision to go from TXXV to upgrade to the senior exchange. And eventually, should it be prudent and make sense, you know, live over in one of the U.S. capital markets. Today, we're on TSXV, and then we're also on the OTC market in the U.S. What did surprise me was the potential that it unlocked, right? We would not have access to Truebar or no BS without going public. And so I'm impressed by and surprised by the potential not only that it unlocked for us to date, but we believe we'll continue to do so going forward. Well, that is also our hope for you too, to graduate up to Toronto Stock Exchange, the senior market, and then to do a list onto one of the U.S. exchanges. We are clear that in the U.S. we are a stepping stone to the U.S. markets, and there's a lot of opportunity for U.S. companies to think about that. So thank you so much for your time, Kathy. It was really a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you, Delio. We appreciate the forum. Thank you for listening to TMX Presents, the podcast, and thank you again to Kathy Casey from Simply Better Brands for joining us. For more information on TSX and TSX Venture as a capital option for U.S. companies, visit us.tsx.com. And for more insights from capital markets leaders and my TMX colleagues, please visit tmx.com POV. Thank you and have a great day.